A burst of thunder caused a three-year-old to fly into her parents' bedroom. Mommy, mommy, I'm scared, she said. The mother, half awake and half unconscious, said to her daughter, Go back to bed, sweetheart. God will be with you. The small figure stood in the unlit doorway for a moment and then responded softly, Mommy, I'll stay in here and sleep with Daddy. You go in there and sleep with God. I can so relate to that little girl's story as a little boy growing up in Cleveland, Ohio. Under my bed, there was this metal uh, vent cover on top of old creaky wood floors. And particularly in the wintertime, I would hear clanging noises coming out from that vent as though there were men, maybe even trolls, down there fashioning their weapons. And as soon as they were done, they were going to come out of that vent and get me. And I tried not to be scared. I really did try not to be scared. I have an older brother that if he heard wind of it, he would never let me live it down. I tried not to be scared, but several times in my early days, I succumbed to the fear and I burst out of my bedroom and jumped right in the middle of my parents' bed. Now I was completely safe. Nobody, man or troll, could get me now. I was safe. And you know what? It's interesting, my parents didn't do anything. My dad didn't even wake up. (laughs) They were just there, and that was good enough. You know what that's called? That's called the power of presence. It's being with somebody who has authority and strength that makes you feel safe and at peace. This was the vision of God for us. In the opening pages of the Bible, God creates the vast universe and the awesome earth and ultimately a garden in the center of it all for the express purpose of coming down and being with Adam and Eve to hang out with them. The Bible tells us in the earlier pages that he actually took walks with them in the cool of the day. How awesome is that? To actually be in the presence of God. Walks during the day in the same room with us at night. This is a powerful and comforting idea. Why would we ever need to be afraid again? But you know the story. Adam and Eve made a choice that day that changed everything. Their decision not to embrace the vision of God by eating of the fruit that God told them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil created a barrier between God and his people It's called sin. And that sin nature that separated Adam and Eve from God is transmitted to every one of their offspring, you and I, so that we were born with this spiritual disease flowing through our veins. And we are conceived and born separated from God. And it tells us in the story that Adam and Eve were escorted out of the garden. And two angels called cherubim, these angels with mighty wings, are placed in front of the garden with these star-like swords, laser lights, if you will, to guard, to keep any person entering into the Garden of Eden. God was now above, overseeing things, but he wasn't among them. And you know what? That's not the same thing. Now fast forward to the time of the nation of Israel gathered in the desert under the leadership of Moses in the book of Exodus. God has a plan, 
a plan once again to try to come down and to be with his people. But there's a problem. Sin is still a barrier between us. For people to hang out with God, they have to be right with God. The kind of selfishness and jealousy and hatred and lying deception that dominates our relationship has no place in the community of God. So though God is coming down, his presence must be contained in a room that people cannot enter. God instructs Moses to build that room in a place called the tabernacle. What I'd like to do is take you through a journey of the tabernacle of the Old Testament. We're going to start off with a nation of Israel with this aerial view uh, in the Sinai Desert. And we're going to zoom in, and as we zoom in, you're going to see millions of tents that now make up the grand nation of Israel that God has built and developed. And as it zooms in, you're going to see in the center of their community is the presence of God or the tabernacle. And that's the same way it should be in our lives, in the center of our families, in the center of our church, in the center of our lives should be the presence of God. And as we zoom in a little closer, you can see that there is the tabernacle and around it is this thing called the outer court. It is here that the people of Israel would enter into the outer court and they would bring their sacrifices like lambs to the priest to be offered up for the forgiveness of sin. Now what I want to do is I want to lift up if, uh, the, the side of the tabernacle and show you two rooms inside of the tabernacle. Here on the right is a place called the holy place. It is here that the high priest and the priests would do their work. No one else was allowed to enter. They would bake bread and they would burn incense and an amazing aroma would come out of this room. It is here that they did their work. Now off to the left we have the most holy place or room that we often call the Holy of Holies. It is here with the Ark of the Covenant that God's presence resided. A room only 15 feet by 15 feet, the size of a a modest bedroom, but it was here that the presence of God resided. And it was only the opportunity of the high priest once a year and only the high priest to enter behind this room into the presence of God to offer up a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin of all the people of Israel. The Hebrews called it Yom Kippur. We call it the Day of atonement. Now let me uh, peek in a little bit closer to this, um, how this room is divided. This room is divided by a grand curtain. Let me tell you a few things about the curtain. First of all, it was very thick, made of animal skin, impossible to tear. Number two, God instructed Moses that this curtain should be made of the colors blue, purple, and scarlet. Now let me uh, zoom in a little closer and see if you can see this. You will see that there uh, was, was these cherubim that God instructed Moses to embroider into the curtain. Yes, the same cherubim that stood at the entrance of the Garden of Eden, preventing people from entering into the garden, now symbolically are on this curtain, preventing people from entering into the Holy of Holies or the presence of God. Now let's fast forward to the time of Jesus Christ. The tabernacle, this mobile tent of curtains, is replaced by a thing called the temple, a solid and grand structure of stone. I'm going to take you now into the uh, temple. And now we're in the temple in the room of the holy place. This is how it would actually look. And I'm going to zoom around and we're going to come to that curtain 
and how it looked at the time of Jesus in the New Testament. Now I'm going to scroll up the curtain and I want you to see this incredible work of art that stood as a barrier between the presence of God and the people. It is still 15 feet wide, but it is 42 feet high, standing there declaring no one is allowed to enter. Now let's go to the day that Jesus hung on the cross. Listen carefully. Matthew chapter 27, verses 51, 50 and 51 says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now we know that this curtain being torn in two from top to bottom was no act of man. It was thick and impossible to tear, but it was torn from the top to the bottom, 42 feet high. Even David Robinson couldn't reach that. (laughs) This was an act of God. The question is, what does it mean? What does the curtain have to do with the death of Jesus? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20 tells us, listen to this, that Jesus is the curtain. This passage of scripture tells us that all along, the curtain was there standing as a symbol of what was to come in Jesus Christ. The only way to gain access to God the Father in the Old Testament was through the curtain. And now we learn in the New Testament that the only way to gain access through God is through Jesus Christ. John chapter 14 and verse six makes more sense now when Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now it makes sense that the curtain that was first hung 1,470 years ago was made of purple and of scarlet. Purple representing the royalty of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, and scarlet representing the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood that would flow down the curtain, the blood that would flow down the body of Christ on that day when it was torn or it was pierced by the Roman soldier to open up a way for us to come to God. It means that Christ paid the price for our sins and the barrier has been destroyed or as the writer of Hebrews says over and over again, the curtain has been removed once and for all. It means that the presence of God has been released from this little 15 by 15 room. But the question you should be asking is, where did he go? As we read through the New Testament, we see that God wants to establish his new dwelling place. Listen to this. God wants to establish his new dwelling place after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, not in a tabernacle made with curtains, not in a tent made with stone, but he wants to make his new temple in me and in you. Go figure, but that's what the scripture teaches. Listen to the passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16. For we are the temple of the living God. And as God said, I will live with them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. God wants to come down again and hang out with us to be inside of us. Did you see it in this text? He wants to take walks with us again in the cool of the day. 
He wants to be in the same room with us at night. He wants to go with us wherever we go. But there's a fierce and thundering storm outside. The question is, where do you want to be right now? Are you scared right now in your life like I was as a little boy growing up in Cleveland, Ohio? Do you need strength? Do you need comforting? Do you need hope in uncertain times? Then you have a personal decision to make. You have a personal decision to make. Whether or not you're going to invite the presence of God into your life. How do you do that? How do you make this decision to actually become the temple of God and invite the presence of God into your life? I offer you three ideas. Number one, you acknowledge your sin. You acknowledge before God that your sin nature is a barrier between you and God and that without him you are alone to handle the worries of the day and the terrors of the night. Number two, you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died and rose again on the third day. You believe that Jesus is the curtain, the way to God, and has been torn in two to give you access to the presence of God. And number three, listen carefully, you personally, on your own, invite God to forgive you of your sins once for all and to come into your life the new temple, to reign in your life and to be the leader of your life. Let me ask you a question and think very carefully. Don't think about your neighbor, don't think about your relative, think only about you. Have you made this personal decision? The Bible has taught us today that Jesus is the curtain. Jesus is the only way to God. There is no other way. If you reject this way, then like Adam and Eve, you will be left alone to handle life without the strength and authority of God. And when you die, as hard as it is for me to say this, and when you die, you will not go to heaven. And when you die, you will not go to heaven. And when you die, you will not go to heaven. God will honor your decision not to embrace his vision and his offer to you, and you will be escorted out of the garden. Have you made that decision? If you have never made that decision, you know what? You can make that decision right now. I'm going to ask all of you to bow your head and close your eyes, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you would like right now to accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, if you would like to invite him, his presence, his authority into your life right now, I invite you to say this prayer after me. Dear God, I recognize before you that I am a sinner and that my sin has created a barrier between me and you. I believe that Jesus is the curtain 
the only way to a relationship with you. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is the Son of God whose body was torn on the cross and whose scarlet blood poured out to pay for my sins. I believe he rose again from the dead and is alive. I ask you, through Christ, to forgive me of my sins. I invite you to come into my life, to take up residence within me, reign in my life, be the leader of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, at that moment, the presence of God took up residence within you. And you now have the authority and the strength of God within you to face whatever storm you are going to face. But if you have already prayed that prayer before you came into this room this evening, this is a reminder to us that God is still there by you. And we strongly encourage you to listen to him, to talk to him, to lean into him, and to draw near to him. When you came in, you received a card. I'm gonna ask everyone to take that card out right now and hold it up so I can see it. You received a card. Take that card out and hold it up so I can see it all over the house. On the very front of this card, we have a replica of the curtain that was in the temple during the time of Jesus. And here's what I'd like to ask you to do. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, or if you've prayed that prayer in the past, what I'd like you to do with me in, a, in, in, in sort of an experience or a, a recognition, a symbol that the curtain of the temple has been torn, I want you to grab it with me on the count of three. We're gonna tear this card together. Ready? Let's listen to the sound. Everyone quiet. Ready? One, two, three. The temple curtain has been torn. Now you'll notice on one of the one side uh, there is a little memento for you to take with you maybe as a bookmark. It is a reminder of what we talked about today, the core idea of this message. But on the other side of the is a response card that we'd like every single person to fill out. So if you take out a pen or a pencil, I'd encourage you to fill out the information is there, some general information, but specifically as we get down uh, to the specific boxes to check. If you prayed the prayer for the first time tonight to accept Christ to be in your life, we'd like to ask you to just mark that down. We wanna know about that. We wanna celebrate that with you. Number two, if you would like to be baptized in the next two weeks with us as we take one of the most powerful journeys up to the Marquat Ranch in the Guadalupe River where hundreds of people are baptized, you'll wanna be there. And if you have never been baptized but are interested in that, I'd encourage you to check that. And after the service, go to the information center and do not delay because Jesus Christ asked us to do it. Baptism is a demonstration of our devotion. And if you will come up to the Marquat Ranch with us at the Guadalupe River, you will see a powerful thing as people turn their life over to Jesus Christ. Sometimes we see whole families going under the water together. Sometimes we see friends who say we're doing this arm in arm together, publicly declaring that Jesus Christ is our curtain, publicly declaring that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. And finally, if you're in this room and you want us to pray for you, 
Here at the Oak Hills Church, we believe strongly that if people will humble themselves before God and lay their requests before him, that God will move and that God will act. And if you came into this room with a personal burden, or if you came into this room with a burden for someone else, we invite you to write that prayer request down, and I promise you that one of our elders or their wives or one of our prayer ministers would consider it a huge privilege to pray for you by name. To pray for you by name. So I'd encourage you to take out a pen or a pencil and fill out that card. And as you're doing that, our worship team and choir is going to sing a song uh, to give you an opportunity to respond to the card. And as they do, let me close with these words from Romans chapter 8 to encourage all of us who have asked Jesus to enter into our life. Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death nor angels or demons, neither the present or the future, or any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the power of the curtain. That is the power of the presence. Folks, that is the power of the cross. And all of his people said, Amen. Amen.